I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Welcome to Minute 10 of Season 6 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a Capra-esque journey through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me to close off the week is the MXM guru, uh, Jim O'Kane. Welcome back, Jim. It's so much fun having you on the show. It's great. I, I, I... Uh, you let me run my mouth off as long as we can talk, so it's it's fine. I, I, yeah, we, we we both do that. I think I think I think yeah. we you know we're, we're <laughs> we both need to plead guilty on that one. But you yeah, know, but it's, but it's fun. It's a fun conversation, and that that's the yeah. way that that this is supposed to be. And it, it's there's so much to talk about. Not not much with this particular minute, but I think so. I think there's some really interesting little tidbits we can rummage through and, and chat about. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, minute ten begins with George come running into the office. Yeah, he's still he's still sprinting. He hasn't stopped. You know, he's a little Forrest Gump, uh, just you know, running everywhere he's got to go. And uh, the minute ends with uh, Peter Bailey standing up to Potter. Yeah. So yesterday, you know, uh, George was trying to figure out what to do about the, the poison issue. And instead of calling poison control, you know, he saw a, a, a cigarette ad that said, uh, ask your dad. They're like, OK, <laughs> why not? You know, and, I mean, this is this is probably a sign that he sees every single day that he's working in the in the drugstore. And just today is the day that it that it gave him this uh, uh, epiphany. Of what? Ooh, hey, there's a good idea. Why don't I go ask my father? So he runs away from there and runs past the 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 Harry Potter uh, magic uh, carriage, and it, it must be magic because he runs up to the second floor and is you know uh, very quickly inside of of this office. You know, they it has a, a fan going. I, I've never understood the whole idea of having ribbons on a fan. Do you, do you know the, the reason behind having that? I mean, except for to, to tell us that I, yeah, the I think fan to tell, is working. To tell the audience. I know in a uh, in a submarine movie, it always means that the uh, the vents have failed. <laughs> and, and usually after the after the ribbons fall down, the next thing that happens is you get sweat marks in the shape of a T on everybody's shirt. That's right. So it's just telling you it's a it's a stinking hot day in a, uh, down there in Bedford Falls, um, in early May too. So. Uh, uh, it's very yeah very well, peculiar uh, but a very theoretically it's it's early May but uh, you know we're gonna get a little bit of a shot soon and the <laughs> the the calendar says that it's June yeah <laughs> so yeah it's a little bit of a problem there and it's uh, it's aw- awkwardly built uh, an awkwardly built office I mean it's built so that they can move giant cameras around but um it, for the for the style of the building which I would assume would be like turn of the 19th into the 20th centuries. They have those um, those windows atop the offices, but none of them are transoms. They don't look like they are able to be opened. You would think you'd want to let the air uh, waft out, um, but none of them seem to be movable. They just seem to be uh, fixed there. Yeah. Even the uh, even the outside windows don't have. Uh, they, they just open from the bottom. Well, that's um, why they have a fan. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> To blow stuff around the ceiling and not go anywhere. That's right. Um, and the the lighting is great because you see that uh, the theoretically the sun is shining inside through the windows and it, yeah. it reflects on those uh, on the window of Peter Bailey's office where you yes. can see that it's his Bailey brothers uh, building and loan. Yes, um, very clearly too. It's amazing yes. how bright and perfectly focused the sun is today. Um, That's right. I am I am fascinated as George runs in. Uh, he runs past the uh, the countertop, and there are apparently model houses. Yes. On the uh, there's like a uh, I, I think it's like a uh, uh, 
a countertop. A salt box style. Yeah, it, I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out what types of houses. Like some kind of a colonial and a and uh, uh, one of those Amityville type houses with the gambrel roof. And uh, then there's some other. Well, what, this, other, uh, what, what this says to me is is that uh, Peter Bailey was the one who had the idea of doing Bailey Park, you know, before yeah uh, before George does it uh, decades later or uh, a decade later. Now, by a building and loan versus a savings and loan, are they doing? I, I mean, they they were going to establish Bailey Park. Are they also the general contractors for the houses? Or I was I believe so because. That. Because, you know, George does mention later on to his father, you know, uh, I don't want to be nickel and diming uh, everything I do and trying to figure out a way to save a penny on, uh, you know, on a, on a piece of pipe. So, yeah, you know, yeah. he is they, – they are contracting it out because they're, they're, they're trying to give work to anyone that they can. But they're – at the same time, they want to, uh, you know, give the cheapest price for the people building these houses. I was wondering what the uh, you know the other tenants in this building, as we saw yesterday, there were the stairs. There is a pawn shop that handles real estate and jewelry. So I just don't. I was wondering if uh, if George's dad was in cahoots with the pawn shop as to well, you can sell you know sell them your old house and we'll take that uh, th- those assets and put them in our building and loan and build you a, a house out there in Bailey Park. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. It's all definitely just, just little little unanswered questions that float around. Yeah, there there, there are many that we're going to come up with even today. And so uh, George basically just wants to run right into his father's office without anything, and, and his uncle, uh, Billy, uh, stops him. Now, he has something in the pocket of his uh, vest, which I can't tell what it is. It, it, I can't. It, I keep reading it as Dutch Masters, like it's some, like it's a box of cig- cigarillos, but but he's smoking a pipe, so that can't be right. Right. So I don't know. He's holding he's holding a, a uh, you know a teacup with a saucer, and there's there's yep. something uh, there's something protruding out of his out of his pocket there. And he, yeah, that he looks like some, some kind of a record book. Yeah, and uh, I wonder if that's a uh, Patterson pipe that he's uh, smoking from the uh, the drugstore across the street. It's very possible. Hmm. And so then Billy says to him, oh, a vast there, Captain Cook, where are you heading? I guess he's, he's into a, uh, you know, uh, a seafaring, he's in a seafaring mood. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> because, and explore, it will, he, he knows that, you know, the, the National Geographic Society has uh, absorbed George Bailey, so he's going to go out and explore like Captain Cook, I would think. That's right. That's right. And he goes, I got to go see Pop, Uncle Billy. You know, some other time, George, it's important. And he goes, there's a squall in there. <laughs> still talking about the, you know, the still still dealing with, uh, you know, adventure type of stuff. And, you know, you find out from, that the other two characters that are here are apparently relatives, okay, because they're 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 known as cousin Tilly and cousin uh, Eustace. Right, but we're never really sure how they're related because they, they're they're apparently also Bailey's, and they're they're not mm-hmm. Billy's kids and they're not Peter's kids. So maybe they have a sister or maybe they have another brother at some point that uh, that is the parent of the, the these two. Basically, they're showing that this is definitely a family business. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uncle Billy continues and says it's shaping up into a storm, and then Tilly goes, Uncle Billy. Telephone. Who is it? Bank examiner. And he goes, bank examiner. And then he looks at his hand, and he 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 sees that he has all of these uh, you know strings attached to his to his hand. And he goes, oh, bank examiner. Basically, he's saying, oh crap, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> his little memory aids were just not working. Um, no. I must point. I, I must point out while we're while he's standing while he's standing there next to the coat and hat rack. There is a beautiful uh, straw boater type hat hanging. I don't know if it's Peter's or if it's maybe Billy wears a boater, but uh, wait, the boater, the, the boater is the the one that you would see like in a the one on the left, the, the one on the left, the one that you'd see in a, a, a barbershop quartet. That's right. I was going to say the barbershop quartet. That yeah, was actually flat, what I, where I was thinking. I, I believe flat. I believe it is Billy's hat because Billy, uh, we see him wearing it later. Yeah. Um. The there's an interesting. It's it's actually a, a defining point of summer versus 
uh, fall. And uh, there was a day in the year that was known as Straw Hat Day when people switched from their felt hats, their winter hats, to straw hats that signified the beginning of summer. And it, it varied what, what locale you were in and uh, what, uh, you know, what, what everybody else was doing. So it was just very a lot of peer pressure on this. And Is that, is that an official day? Is there an official uh, day called Straw Hat Day? It varied by town, so it was that. But at the time, everybody—that's the day everybody switched it. You know, they'd even mentioned it in the paper. This is Straw Hat Day, so make sure you swap out your straw hat. And it was considered very uh, uncouth to not have a hat outdoors. Um, so that would signify the beginning, basically the beginning of summer. So here in May, apparently, it's like maybe the fir- maybe the first week of May they they did straw hat day the reverse of that would be in either september or october where you'd switch to felt hat day and you'd not wear your straw hat and wear your felt hat now what um teenage boys and young men you know like college age kids would um in some cities there were um, men that would grab your straw hat and punch through it if you wore a straw hat after felt hat day uh in 1922 that rambunctious hijinks kind of thing would escalate into something that was known as the straw hat riot which lasted over a week it lasted eight days and involved around a thousand hat destroyers resulted in a number of arrests and severe injuries so you know hats were very serious business (laughs) of the the fashion of hats um was you know was very uh important of you could tell you could tell a person by the type of hat they wore, if they wore a fedora or a bowler, they were trying to express in a fashion statement what they were interested in. Boaters, uh, boaters were considered you were somewhat athletic, you were um, kind of upper class, and you had a very strong fashion sense, at least if you, if you wore it during straw hat days. But, you know, make sure you had on your fedora when that cold snap hit. That's right. Um, so that you don't that someone doesn't punch through your your hat at the time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, Mary Poppins style. Um, but it was, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's just interesting. I always wonder when I see older movies. You know, you see guys in fedoras, and you'll see they're they're pinched a certain way, or they'll be, you know, they'll be wearing a bowler like Oliver Hardy, and it meant something. The, the little nuances of how you bent your hat. It meant something to people of the time it's like oh that guy's the gangster oh that guy thinks he's a tough guy oh this guy you know and and we don't have that language of what was going on in the fashion at the time and you'd have to just kind of look up old fashion history to to find out what these what these styles were right sure so i mean back to what we were saying before this this is may 3rd when this is all happening but the calendar in the bailey uh, building and loan is they're they're already living in the future. It's already June because oh. of the calendar. Or maybe it just took uh, George a long time to get across the street. It could be. <laughs> um, and, well, you could also use the excuse that that maybe it took a while for that telegram to actually get to Mr. Gower. Yes. So, <laughs> oh, it was a telegram I... lost in time. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I, I actually saw uh, there were two uh, pilots in the 1970s by Aaron Spelling uh, called uh, one was, I think, uh, Three Letters to Lovers and the other oh, one was yes. just called The Letters. I recently just saw both of them. And it, it's a great concept that they I don't know how they were able to try and make two pilots back to back that had similar themes and used even similar. They used some of the same footage. It was the idea that, that of, of each each of these stories had three different letters that that uh, got lost in the mail, and people thought different things about them until you know a year later when those letters were recovered, and then they found out the truth. Uh, it, it's yeah, a great and, concept. Yeah, but, it, and if I remember they had like there was some kind of like a postal inspector that was a con- it might yes. have been Tony Franciosa or I, I can't remember somebody like that some some famous TV star and he would personally deliver the letter like a year late and you know she already had the baby or she married somebody else or and she thought that um, he didn't love her but he had died yeah. you know things, things like yeah. that it was it was just a it was a great concept yeah uh, I, I don't know how they would have made a TV how... show out of that 
Yeah, there's only so many things you can. I mean, it's That's basically the biggest car- cargo plane in the world, <laughs> carrying all these different shows. And you have Leslie um, Nielsen in one of them as a as a as a murderer, which is yes. great. Yeah, it's um, it, and yeah, that that did that hit, did hit me was that that it was two separate pilots. I guess they said we almost got it right the first time. Let's try this. And we'll see. <laughs> Let's just do it with love stories. This, I think the second yeah, one was yeah, just yeah. love stories, and the first one was was not uh whatever but it was it was it was fun i just came across those so so yes it 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 took a long time for for these uh letters to to or or for 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 uh george to get across uh to cross town or for mr gower to get the telegram who knows and then billy goes into the office uh to go take take that uh important phone call from the bank examiner and, you know, um, you, you'd think that, that Peter Bailey would have been a little smarter than to let his absent-minded brother take care of all the finances. But, you know, we, we wouldn't have a movie if, if that didn't happen. You know, I guess yeah, that's something a, that, that needs to be done. Yeah, he had a, a heart of gold, but uh, not much in the uh, strategic thinking department for uh, for Peter. It just, uh, yeah, I, 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 I guess it was kind of a favor to have him there. Yeah, um, and then once... once uh, Billy is away, so George just goes into his father's office and doesn't care. Yeah, uh, the only, and the only person to even acknowledge him is the uh, rather dour-looking fellow that is the, uh, I guess, the wheelchair pusher for uh, for Mr. Potter. Yes. Now, uh, I'm going to ask the question that is probably on your mind also, okay? The Bailey building and loan is on the second floor. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Potter, without having to use magic will not be able to get up those flight of stairs in his wheelchair. <laughs> well, that's the secret of the building part of building and the building alone. They, they built a, a ramp that you, that disappears. Uh, <laughs> you, the, I, I'm, I'm surprised that they never thought of it. it it's just, yeah, it, it, it has always driven me nuts watching this, that, that how does he get up to the second floor? There's, we don't yeah, see an elevator, that, you know, that and, and is actually a, an elevator or a dumb way kind of. That's right. It's it's like in Batman, you know the yeah, you know the TV series. The the bookcase will open up, and there's 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 an elevator, there's a lift for to to, to bring him up straight into yeah. Peter Bailey's office. Well, yeah, or he's got yeah two poles. It says Potter and Potter chauffeur. Um, the, the, yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's just very very peculiar. And you know, this is a, I mean, as we saw, this maybe is kind maybe of Potter can really walk. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's different, you know, you know, it, it, uh, he looks he looks both ways and gets up from the wheelchair yeah. and his that's why he needs someone to, to take him because he he lifts up the wheelchair you know yeah <laughs> it, it's um i and it, you gotta remember it is a stinking hot day in may i mean they've got the fans going you can see the ribbons flying um everybody's looking a little sweaty and potter has a like a flannel blanket wrapped around his waist um it's uh you know he's obviously cold-hearted, but apparently he's also cold-footed. Um, that's right. It, it, it that's always that that's another kind of the wrong the wrong season for everything. Yes. Um, and the, and the, the basically the rest of this minute tells us who uh, Peter Bailey is and who Mr. Potter is at the exact same time. You know because yeah. of this conversation between the two of them, because Peter then goes, "I'm not crying, Mr. Potter." Well, you're begging. That's a whole lot worse. All I'm asking for is 30 days more. And then George starts interrupting. Pop, just a minute, son. Just 30 short days. I'll dig up the $5,000 somehow. Yeah, here, try one of these pills, Mr. Potter. Um, Yeah. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Shove me up, shove me up. Pop. You know, he wants the Potter wants to get closer. He goes, just a minute. Have you put any real pressure on these people of yours to pay those mortgages? Times are bad, Mr. Potter. A lot of those people are out of work. Well, then foreclose. I can't do that. These families have children. Pop, they're not my children, <laughs> but they're somebody's children, Mr. Potter. Are you running a business or a charity award? Well, all right, not with my money. Mr. Potter, what makes you such a hard school character? You have no family, no children. You can't begin to spend all the money you've got. Oh, I suppose I... And then, then he gets cut off. But, but yeah. This whole conversation shows us that that Peter Bailey is there to help the common man, and Potter doesn't care. Now, my yeah, biggest so, uh, a, a question that I have here is 
why why is Potter even investing in the in in the building and loan? How is he making well, money here? He, I mean, I think it. I think it's. Uh, he wants to get controlling interest and close it down, and then there'd only be one bank. So why not just throw throw enough money in there to drown um, Bailey's? He'll he'll own all of Bailey's, and then he can shut it down because they no longer control the bank that he's that he you know the savings loan or the building loan that he has. I was trying to figure out: their Potter and uh, Peter Bailey are they the same age? Is Potter older than Peter Bailey? Are I they? I, it, it's hard to tell. I mean, again, this is this is 1919. Okay, this this movie will go until 1946. So therefore, you know, we're going to have another 25 years of of things happening. Yeah. Okay. So and but and Potter, my Potter doesn't age though. <laughs> Potter does not age. Uh, Peter Bailey. Uh, my assumption is, is he's probably in his late 40s, early 50s. That would wow. that would be my guess. Um, but it's it's hard to tell exactly how old he is. I mean, well, let's put it this way: he's probably in his in his early forties at this point because he he does live for for another uh, nine years. Yeah. In in the movie, and you know, unfortunately, the the actor uh, passed away uh, two years after making the movie. Also, you know, Samuel Hines. You know, he he didn't uh, he died in nineteen forty eight, and he was born in eighteen seventy five. He was born in eighteen seventy five, so he was seventy three. Yeah, so he would have been seventy-one at the time of the filming. Uh, right. So, so let let's let's say then at that point that he was. So he he actually must be even older at this point. So from that perspective, I would say that that uh, that uh, Peter Bailey must have been older than Mister Potter then at that point. Yeah, I would think. Um, and uh, let's see, I'm. I'm starting to wonder if uh, George was adopted. It's just, uh, or if he was somebody yeah. else's kid and they moved him in. If he's in his 60s having these kids, I don't think Mom Bailey was uh, any younger. So it's just kind of, it, yeah. It's, well, Ma Bailey, Ma Bailey, okay, the the actress who plays Ma Bailey, Beulah Bondi, is uh, 14 years younger than 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 uh, than Samuel Hines. So there's a 14 so, year difference between them. So, so she's still in her like late fifties, which would, I guess yeah could have had could have had George's twelve, so late or mid forties. Yeah, I, I guess still. Wow, she actually died on my birthday, at Beulah oh, Bondi, wow. in nineteen eighty one when I when I was uh, seven. Wow. <laughs> on January eleventh, nineteen eighty one. Never uh, never had a chance to get her on the show. No, um, no, sorry, didn't, didn't uh, wasn't able to do that. But let's see if if so this this came out uh, forty six. Right, she was she's in her fifties in in this movie, but let's look at it from the perspective that you know at the the later parts of the movie, if she was in her fifties, so theoretically, yeah, she, her age her, fit. She's playing younger, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, but but Peter Bailey doesn't work as well because of the fact that that he you know spoiler alert he doesn't make it through the movie, so yeah, you know when when he does pass away. Uh, you know, nine years later. So let's say he was in his sixties at that point, uh, mid to late sixties. Uh, so at this point, he must be in his fifties then, not forty. So I, I will uh, amend what I said earlier. <laughs> so he's probably um, in his fifties at this point, early fifties at this point. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing that I had as we as we run out of time here with him, uh, one thing I noticed about uh, the most prominent thing besides uh, the pictures of his children the, on on Peter Bailey's desk, is he has a rather rather large um, notary stamp, uh, which would mean uh, Peter Bailey is a uh, a notary public, uh, which of course under common law it's a public officer constituted by law to serve the public in a non non-contentious he wasn't he isn't a party to things uh concerned with financial transactions estates deeds powers of attorney uh notary's main function is to validate signatures of a person administer oaths and affirmations take affidavits and statutory declarations and authenticate the execution of documents like you you've signed off on buying a car and he notarized it saying yes you did that i saw him do that and then they write down what uh what they saw you do um, so, and it's, you know, notaries 
play an important role in many different countries' uh, legal systems, that you need a witness to do certain things, and the notary is the – that's his job is to witness stuff happening. Uh, it's been around uh, for, I think, over over a 1,000 years that, that somebody is uh, – I'm sorry, over oh, almost 2,000 years. They were known in Roman times as there were certain notaries that were – uh, were there to hear testimony and then be able to swear to it in another location. Uh, so he's in one of the oldest professions there that is, you know, intricately tied in with uh, with banking. Um, so I guess that's why that that stamp, that little that embossing stamp, uh, plays a prominent role on his desk. Yeah, and and I noticed two interesting things in in his office. Also, when when George sneaks in. You can when he opens the door, you see a portrait right in front of you, right in front of us, and you. This is the only time you see it. He has a picture of Woodrow Wilson uh, yes. on the wall, and then later on, you can see that there is a picture of George Washington. Yes, a small picture of George and a large picture of Woodrow Wilson. That's right. So, um, uh, so it's, it's interesting. It, it it again, it says a lot about Peter Bailey, you know, about who he is. You know, he's a man who believes in freedom, who believes in democracy, you know, and, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, and, and we know what type of person he is because of what he wants to, how he wants to help people and stuff like that. The, the only other thing I want to say about this, uh, this minute is when Potter uh, says, not my children, he like smirks as if to say, I wouldn't want to have children. I, you know, why would you even think that I would want to have children? You know, there's, you know, he's, oh, he's proud did, of that fact. I, I did want to point out in Uncle Billy's office versus uh, having George Washington and um, and Woodrow Wilson. Uh, uh, Is Bill that Pershing? Bailey had, that's Pershing. That's John Pershing. Blackjack Pershing up there, uh, hero of uh, a conqueror of Pancho Villa, and uh, he worked in he fought in World War One. He was part of the National Army. Uh, going over with the American Expeditionary Forces uh, in 1917, um, he worked closely with the British Army in working uh, uh, joint ven- uh, joint ventures as allies in different uh, mission operations. Uh, he had a very long and starred career, uh, and then uh, when he came back from the war, uh, he became uh, the general of the armies of the U.S. He was the highest rank possible for any member of the armed forces, and it was created especially for him. So, uh, yeah, it's just amazing. I mean, he actually held a he actually held a title that was higher than uh, General Washington. Wow. So uh, that's Billy's hero. Um, yes. So uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, okay. that's what I have. An, inter- an interesting week of uh, of minutes. Uh, yes. They all are interesting, but I, I, it's just fascinating watching all this stuff. Kind of the in between, going from one to another. We're setting up a problem that you're going to have to get resolved. Well, there's a couple of problems coming up. But this problem is going to have to resolve itself uh, next week. Yes. In yes. some way. Not, maybe not the way we want it to, but we'll see. No, not necessarily. But we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you, Jim, for that. So every Friday we have a segment called Oscar Oops. Uh, the, the whole idea is, is that, uh, you know, every, every year the Oscars, uh, you know, have their voting and they decide who, who, which, uh, which movies will win which awards. But, uh, you know, I, I want to just focus, obviously, on, on the Best Picture Award. And this movie was nominated for Best Picture in 1946, uh, and it lost to what movie? The Best the best Years of Our the Lives. The Best Years of Our Lives. Fellow Liberty Films director, uh, William Wyler. That's right. So and That must have been interesting times at lunch. <laughs> <laughs> probably. And basically, there, there have been many uh, contentions over the years as to you know, what movies should have won uh, Oscars. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into the question about whether, you know, It's a Wonderful Life or Best Years of Our Lives should have won, but what I basically want to do is, you know, I've, I've decided that this segment will be that, you know, my guests will then tell tell us basically the, the five movies that they think were uh, uh, were snubbed that should have won the, the picture. The only caveat, obviously, is it must be something that was nominated. You can't just yes. say, oh, I like this movie. You know, uh, I, we, we all know that Jim likes, uh, you know, uh, 
the Rocketeer, but the Rocketeer was not nominated. So some of your other movies uh, were, great, yeah, some of the others were, they might cool, be on your yeah. list. So uh, yeah, 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 no, this no, mine, mine are all mine are all nominees. Um, and I, you know, as as you may guess, I, I did think that they did the right choice with uh, Best Years of Our Lives. And although you know, gosh, it was such a great 1946 and 47 were such fantastic years for amazing films. Um, the only reason that I liked that I think that Best Years deserve to win over uh, It's a Wonderful Life was It's a Wonderful Life, great Capper film, very much by the numbers. It is a typical Capper film. Uh, William Wyler broke new ground with uh, The Best Years of Our Lives, uh, talking about taboo things like uh, what we now call PTSD, which back at the time was called shell shock, um, and just the the idea of trying to reintegrate uh, these these men who had basically saved the world and had come home to ordinary lives again and tried to fit in with a world that no longer existed. Capra still saw a world that didn't really change much, so it's a little bit different there. Not that and I I I really love Capra films and I love uh, It's a Wonderful Life, but I think for 1946 or 47. Um, I think the best years of our lives was a good choice. Now I, I, I agree with that, you. I do agree with you on that. Just so you know, I, I you yeah, know, no, you, I, you, you, you jumped the gun on me and did the best years of our lives minute by minute before I had a chance to. So, you know, and that's uh, not one, uh, and that's not one I'm gonna, you know. Uh, no, if you <laughs> re- want to go, go right. I, I am a firm believer in revisiting. I, and, I did that. I did that on Die Hard. You know, that's uh, yeah. No, it, and, and it's good. But, um, and I, I think you did a better job. Uh, you and and all of the other guests. Or all the other guest hosts did a better job on the best years of lives than on Die Hard. So you know, <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, it's it's a it, but it's it's always fascinating to hear different takes on the same minutes. You know, you can hear yes. two different takes, and it's just and you sit there and wonder, it's like, why did I not see that, or where would where was that going? Um, but yeah, let, well, let's get on with the uh, the action the, the 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 action that that I've found. I'll I'll go in uh, I'll go in yearly order, but we're gonna go way back to uh, 1951. The way you want, if you oh, want to win an okay. Oscar, <laughs> if you want to win an Oscar, and I'll tell you how to do an Oscar, think of the people who vote for Oscars and make a movie about them, and you will win. And whatever you do, don't make a satire of the people who vote for Oscars. Um, <laughs> 1951, All About Eve, is a, it's, it's a very similar story to A Star is Born. You have an older actress who's getting replaced by a by a conniving younger actress and all the older actresses that were watching this movie thought that's me and that's my secretary and rah. so they all voted for all about eve but the real winner back then was people didn't realize it was a comedy until they watched the whole thing was billy wilder's uh movie uh sunset boulevard sunset boulevard with gloria swanson about a washed up silent star who was making a big comeback and bill holden was her uh kept man uh with a whole cast of people as varied as buster keaton and I, I i can't go into all the people that are in this movie but uh sunset boulevard is just so cockamamie crazy and it just lambastes the whole uh star and i mean cecil b DeMille is in this movie and it, it it's just so crazy but it was so beautiful and it was such a great takedown of the hollywood studio system and how how the world changes and how all these old, you know, these old codgers ran Hollywood and thought it was, thought it was working. It was, um, it was the okay boomer of its time. Yeah. So, um, so I'd say 1951 Sunset Boulevard should have beat all about Eve, except for the people voting for it. Now we're going to jump all the way out to 1978. Oh, you skipped 1970. I thought you thought airport should have won. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm going. There's, there's too many, there's too many things in the '60s and '70s. Again, it's old guys, old people voting about things that they, you know, that they remember. That that's they thought, that's going to be better. Um, 1978. I just want to, but before we get into, that, into the best picture, I just want to say something. The worst sin of 1978 was best song. Best song. You light up my life, Debbie Boone. Beat Star Wars by John Williams. Now, admittedly, he won for Jaws. What do you mean best song? Best, best score, you're saying? 
Best score, yeah. But, best score. Uh, they, they don't have a Star Wars. Yeah, Billy, Bill, Bill Murray did a Star Wars song on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, but but yeah, best best score. But you light up my life. Um, Ice Castles. Ice right. Castles gets a gets an Oscar, <laughs> but Star Wars didn't get it for its music, you know. So that was. But let's get back to Best Picture. Best Picture. Um, you know, again, it's producers. Of which Woody Allen was one. Woody Allen was a producer, and producers falling in love with younger women. And so Annie Hall won. Annie Hall, uh, you know, I I love Woody Allen movies, and they're all you know funny. Annie Hall is one of Woody Allen's funniest movies, but it's about it's about people in in show business uh, with younger women, and. So this is when you fall in love with a younger woman, you got to vote for Best Picture. So Diane Keaton won uh, Best Picture for uh, for that for that production, beating the paradigm shift in movies. Star Wars was nominated. It was nominated, and they couldn't figure out that this is where the future is going to turn into these blockbusters. They had a hint with it with Jaws, the first big blockbuster movie. But they didn't see this is what was coming. This is the thing that's going to happen. Seventy-eight. But you got to give them credit yeah. for the fact that they 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 assumed <laughs> that it was something that's going to happen because of the fact that they at least you know acknowledged the fact of nominating it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They they did nominate it, but they didn't want to admit it. Right. So we get to 1980. 1980. Just to give you an idea of some of the some of the nominees, you had Breaking Away. Great, great story about what do you do after college? What do you do after high school? Where are you gonna go? What are you gonna be? Who are you gonna be? Great personal story. You've got all that jazz, all that jazz, which is uh, it's almost like Fantasia for musicals. It just it went all over the map. We got Roy Scheider doing, um, you know, he was in Jaws, but he was. He's singing and dancing. You got Ben Vereen, and it's just—it's not like a normal musical, which is because it's Bob Fosse. Bob Fosse does everything backwards and sideways, and it'll never play on Broadway because you've got nudity and you've got sex and crazy drug taking, and you know he's, he's popping dexedrimal while Vivaldi's Spring is playing every morning, and it's about—you know—it's it, just crazy watching it, but beautiful and beautiful editing, beautiful camera work, uh, a stunning score, and uh, you know really snappy. Uh, script that didn't win and then out you know out in the philippines you had francis ford coppola fresh off uh godfather making the vietnam movie i know there's lots of other vietnam movies but this is this is the one if you say how about that vietnam movie you don't think you might think platoon but you, you don't think platoon you don't think hamburger hill you think apocalypse now apocalypse now is one of the greatest you know it's the ben-hur vietnam movies um and it all got beaten by a divorce movie, it all got beaten by a divorce movie. Kramer versus Kramer. Of, yeah, of you know, of two people in Manhattan, two rich people in Manhattan, who remind the people that vote for Oscars what it's like to go through a divorce, and it's all it goes through all the nitty gritty of how to have a divorce and fighting over custody and, um, and it's the woman is the bad guy in this, um, because the. People voting for this are mostly the men, and they're voting, and it's a single dad. Uh, I know single dad shows. It's a single dad <laughs> show, and it puts – Meryl Streep has a paper-thin personality in this movie. She's there because she's the bad guy. And it – I mean, beautiful camera work. The script is by the numbers typical – you know, it's a soap opera. And that beat – Kramer versus – Getting, <laughs> uh, and we get two more. Kramer versus <laughs> Kramer versus Kramer beats Apocalypse Now. All that jazz and breaking away. I mean, just go back to sleep, you know. The, so after Kramer versus Kramer, we go to the next year, 1981. 1981 had David Lynch's Elephant Man. Elephant Man. David Lynch. I mean, David Lynch is so such an auteur. You know a David Lynch movie when you see it, but you don't know it's also. A Mel Brooks movie. Mel Brooks had finished uh, Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles and The Producers and The Twelve Chairs. And and then he wanted to make a dramatic movie. He loved the story of John or Joseph Merrick. But if he put 
Mel Brooks presents on the front, people would start laughing and waiting for the punchlines. So he renamed his company Brooks Films, didn't mention that he had any part in it. He's not on the poster. It's a David Lynch film. And the performances on it are incredible. All the makeup work on John Hurt, uh, Anthony Hopkins is doing things. The, the, the John Gilgood is in it. Freddie Jones, shot in black and white in a world of color, and it has kind of a nightmarish, dreamlike quality in it. Doesn't quite tell the story linearly, but it tells it like you would think about somebody remembering a dream. Gorgeous cinematography. That didn't win. But let's go to another black and white film that comes out at the same time. Raging Bull. You had Robert De Niro, who gained 70, almost 70 pounds, I think it was something like 65 pounds, to play both young Jake LaMotta and old Jake LaMotta. For like, and it's a, about for like a five-minute scene. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's got him, it's got Joe Pesci, um... You know, Martin Scorsese, you know, blood, sweat, and tears in this movie. You're watching Robert De Niro getting beat up for real. And it's just, you know, it, they, they all were doing this as seriously as they could. Crazy camera work. Um, and not not a lot of, you know, there's no narration as to what's going on. You have to just figure out that Jake LaMotta is not the smartest tool in the, you know, shed. And... Um, you know, Joe Pesci getting into arguments with him as his brother. Um, you know, it's gorgeous. It's tr- it's different, and it shows how, what film is about. But none of that won. Raging Bull didn't win. Elephant Man didn't win. They picked a movie about a rich couple, rich family. Mar- Mary Tyler Moore and Donald Sutherland. You know, uh, and their rich kids who they have problems with their rich kids. One of them commits suicide. The other one's crazy and goes to Judge Her- Judd Hirsch to talk to his therapist. It's the language of the people making movies and their problems, rich people problems. So, of course, they, they vote for ordinary people. And that beats all these different, unique um, breakthrough movies. Well, which, which of them do you think should have won then? Because you just mentioned two. Which, which, which one would you have given it to? It would have been tough, but I, would have, I think I would have picked Elephant Man. I love the ending of it. Um, I think Scorsese did okay until the end. He just tried to show I'm still here. He's got, um, Jake Lamont at the end of it reminds me of Steve McQueen at the end of uh, Papillon. He's, he's like, I'm still here. He reads a poem that Jake Lamont wrote. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, and I, I love that movie. I love boxing movies. My dad used to take me to golden gloves boxing and uh he knew my my dad was a boiler maker and he worked with a lot of people he worked um he worked with the cinderella man that you you know you saw russell uh crow playing um he used to work with uh uh one of the characters in the movie uh two ton uh two two ton tony galento who um he used to he used to, he used to be the spokesman for uh chock full of nuts and he was a crazy guy i met i met uh, uh two ton tony galento uh, Tony Galento told me once when I was a kid, he said that if you meet some – everyone you meet is a lesson, and it's a smart man who learns that lesson. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, and it's like that's stuck, that's stuck with me forever. And, it, you know, it's that kind of – it's like the boxing world has a lot of knuckleheads in it, but you, you can learn from them. And the, learn, the, the thing you learn from Raging Bull is don't be like Jake LaMotta, you know. Uh, appreciate what you have um so yeah ordinary people beat beat those great movies but i would have picked elephant man just simply because it seems to have an uplifting even though we we lose him at the end elephant man has an uplifting story um 1982 uh i understand i like chariots of fire i thought it's a great story it's it's good it's historically accurate um but to me it was it was two and, a half, two and a half hours of slow motion running. And I think the story could have been a lot tighter. I think they could have told it a lot better. The Vangelis movie just kind of, the, the Vangelis music kind of was overpowering. It's like spring, it, it's like meeting somebody and they've got too much aftershave on or something. It just was, 
it was a little bit too much. I didn't think it was a very great film, but I didn't think it was good as the other one that was named that year, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, I've never heard of that. I, we're, we're, yeah, I know. It's a little known film. Yeah. It came out of Paramount. It was you know part of when they were making like Laverne and Shirley and stuff at Paramount. They, this came out. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, they. I mean, they kind of. They didn't see what Raiders was going to turn into, or what what it was going to kick off, or continue on that whole you know Star Wars Raiders, all those movies that were coming out and trying different things by going back to you know the era of the 30s and 40s. So yeah, so I would say I would have picked 1951 uh, Sunset Boulevard, uh, 1978 Star Wars, 1980 I would have probably picked. Uh, Apocalypse Now, just simply because of the effort involved, and I would have picked uh, Elephant Man and Raiders. So there's there's my picks uh, on my alternate universe timeline. Oh wow! Yeah, see, I, I was, was shocked. I was shocked that that you didn't have either Airport or uh, Apollo 13 on that one, on that list. Um, yeah, they were. I mean, they were meaningful. And uh, what was the one that won for 1970? There was something that came out. Again 1970 was was uh, Patton. Patton, yeah, yeah, Pat, yeah, John Sturges. I thought Patton was a better movie. I mean, Airport was the original disaster film. Um, it wasn't the original all-star cast. The original all-star cast was uh, Grand Hotel. Right. Um, but it was kind of, I mean, even for a disaster, it was kind of a by-the-numbers, not that much different from the, than A Night to Remember. You're watching people trying to survive. Um, it was very good. I, en- I enjoy Airport. Was it, was it Best Picture? Compared to Patton, I'd say no. Okay. I'd say I, I actually think it, I mean, I, I'm, it's going to be a long time until I talk no, about no. my list. But but uh, from 1970, whether it's on the, my top five or not, it doesn't matter. I think Mash should have won. I think Mash was better Mash. Okay. than 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 Patton and even it Love was, Story. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, you had Love was, Story that year, and I'm trying to remember what the fifth nominee was. Can't can't remember offhand yeah. right now. The fifth one was, uh, but it, it was below all of the others. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I no, I, I could see. Yeah, Mash was you know Altman and break being a breakthrough and uh, just an interesting way of telling stuff, and it felt almost documentary style. Um, but and uh, yeah, I mean it, it's very difficult. I for me it's difficult to give a comedy best picture, but yeah, it was. Uh, I could I could I could see the case to be made for uh, uh, for Altman's Mash. Right. Ah, the fifth one was uh, Five Easy Pieces. Ah, okay. Um, I think that was voted there simply because they had uh, skipped Easy Rider and they were tr- e- Easy Rider and they were trying to <coughs> recreate Midnight Cowboy, saying this is a low budget uh, now film. Yeah, I, I actually not a big fan of Five Easy Pieces, so you know that, that for me that yeah. is definitely the lowest of of the five. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they were just trying to be relevant, so let's throw that in. Yeah, and they were, you know, it, it, but it's and again, I think one of the cases of Best Picture should be it should rise above the year it's in if something is dated and i think i think kramer versus kramer is dated i think ordinary people is dated um it and even eh, i can't even say that about uh all about eve is a little bit well all about Eve has some uh some things that date it when uh, marilyn monroe is talking about uh i'm on television what do i have to audition there and and somebody tell i think it's uh I forget who it was. Says, "Well, all of television is just an audition." <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. uh, again, thank you for a wonderful week. I really uh, thank appreciate. You. Being thank on. you for joining me. I mean, uh, you know, I, I I know that that I keep you up uh, to all hours of the of the night to be able to well, record. Like, likewise, me. I'm sure. I, <laughs> I know I do that to you, so it's it's turnabout's fair play. That's but uh, no, we do, we always have a great time on these things, and you always pick movies that we have things to talk about it's not like you have to you know just start scrambling through wikipedia it's like what can we talk about today there's really nothing to say about this minute but there's always these things are jam-packed with stuff so, yes uh i think you make you make good choices on those but thank you again for having me no on. problem and i and i thank you for joining me so why don't you for one last time uh, this season let people know uh, where they can find jim okay Okay, well, actually, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, you you had said that you enjoyed Apollo 13, and we enjoyed making it. So I, I would recommend go if you wanna wanna find us, go to Apollo13minute.com. You can listen to the uh, 1995 uh, uh, Ron Howard directed uh, feature. Uh, Chris Henry and I uh, go over it minute by minute, just like uh, you're doing here with It's a Wonderful Life. We have uh, astronauts, scientists, mission controllers, uh, actors, and 
uh, pyrotechnic people showing up just to chat about their little role in the movie or what the movie how the movie affected them. We've even I think we even talked to somebody who watched it in space. I maybe I can't remember if we did that. The, the one problem with talking about stuff we try not to talk in the green room as you do. We don't we try not to talk before the show. Save it for the show. That's right. But we may have talked I think we talked to somebody who was on the International Space Station and actually watched Apollo 13 in space. I can't remember if we got them to say it's that on not, It's on not Mike. on it, it you know I, as I said I I've, I've listened to close to 100 of those episodes and I haven't heard that yet. So ah, okay, you know, yeah, I, I, still, I have that. Ter- I mean, I have. I, I usually don't go back and listen because I'm usually editing and trying to get the thing in, and I, I don't remember where all the conversations begin and end. But we uh, we did have uh, my my. Oh, favorite- again, you did. There wasn't. There was an astronaut who was. Uh, what was his was name? Char- Charlie Charlie Precourt. Charlie Precourt. Charlie Precourt uh, was on. Yeah, I think I think so I maybe think he, he is the one that watched it in space. Yeah. Uh, so maybe he um, did mention that, and I, I, I forgot. You know, I've, I've so. You no, know, as, well, I mean, as we will say, we have so much going on in our brains. You can't remember everything. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like I feel like I tell the same stories again and again, but I, I don't remember. So if, if you, you know, you can always hear a best of by listening to one of my other podcasts because I may have said the same stories somewhere else. Um, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very proud. I'm very proud. My, my co-host Chris Henry has the most wonderful address book. He knows so many different people. And uh, we managed to get two Apollo-era astronauts on our show. We had uh, Times Man of the Year, Frank Borman, on the show. Uh, who He's the first person to drive a, an Apollo Saturn V around the moon. Um, he was just – it was stunning just being in his presence, being able to chat with him. And then Fred Hayes, who flew everything from a lunar module to a space shuttle. Um, you know, here he is chatting on our show, and – uh, you know, both of us are trying not to fanboy like crazy, um, but you know, here's the guy that was that the movie was about, who's in our show, talk, talking about what it was like uh, having a movie made about you. So uh, we I'm had su- a lot of fun with him. I'm surprised you oh. weren't able to get the level on, because I, uh, I know that Chris has met him and uh, yeah, yeah, he had. Um, we got him at a bad time because he was in the middle of doing another big project for, um, I think it was the Adler Planetarium up in Chicago, where uh, where his uh, Apollo 8 is. And uh, he's from Chicago, so uh, I think any any Chicago era uh, Chicago area people get uh, get first <laughs> first place for uh, for Jim Lovell. But he was kind enough to talk with, him. and I know he is he is really good uh, friends with uh, with Chris, and he actually told the story. I mean, Chris told some stories about Jim Lovell that were amazing, like the uh, the, 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 scene thumb, that, the thumb, the thumb, the thumb. Story. Yeah, yeah, he really, he really does that thing where he puts his thumb over the moon, and uh, and Chris, I did the thing, he did it. So um, Chris is a lot of fun. I, I, he is just as ridiculously enthusiastic about space and space flight and, and space history as I am. So uh, we were uh, tag teaming, and uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it was it was like going to. A, you know, some kind of a pajama party. You just sit up, sit up late and start talking to people about stuff. And, um, but yeah, we had a we had a great time, and uh, worth listening to. But Apollo thirteen minute.com is where you can find it, or wherever whatever podcaster you're listening to, it's probably got our our podcast on there. All right, great. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on my website, Move Around Minute So, Jim, once again, thank you very much for joining me. And always a pleasure. And I will be back on uh, Monday with a new guest. But until then, have a great weekend and hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly, truly did. Life with its sorrow, life with its tears. 